Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We're back. We're together. Look at this. I love it. Thanks for coming out from San Diego. Hey, Because it's listen. really good to be in person. I'm excited about that. To see you? Come on. Man. Come on. Are we rolling? We're rolling. Both of them? And this, too, is rolling? Everything's rolling? Yes! <laughs> oh, my God, it's happening. It's totally happening. It's happening. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Off the Beat. As always, this is your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, yeah, very special, live, in person, the man, the myth, the legend. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He is the host of his new show, Geography of Bliss, and I'm sure you have all of his other credits memorized. That's right. Rain Wilson, a.k.a. Dwight Schrute, is joining me today. Hey, Brian. Off the beat. Get it? Off the beat. Today's episode is Off the Beat. Farm. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before Hi, Brian. Hi, buddy. 
this is cool. What uh, what's happening? Well, you know, I mean, we hadn't seen each other in so long, and now what, twice in a few weeks. It's crazy. I love it. Yeah, I need more. I need to come to your farm for sure. Absolutely, like, I really want to come to your farm. You need to bring the kids out to my little farm. To your farm, yeah. It's I like, it's I like thought... a petting zoo. Bring the children out to to the farm, and there's a. It's like a little petting zoo, and there's fruits. Do you let any children come to your all, petting zoo? All the children. You don't invite the children. Yes, I. I really. I, I walk down the streets of Oxnard, California, playing the flute, and the children follow. <laughs> and there's magical animals, and yeah. You're the Pied Piper mm-hmm. of Oxnard, of, Cal- Oxnard. of mm-hmm. Oxnard, California. Was that a dream early on? To be the Pied Piper of Oxnard, California? That that was out of my wheelhouse. It was out of my imaginary field of being. Yeah. It was great to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. Like, really. I um I started watching your show, which we're gonna talk about later, obviously. You're very this is gonna be a a, a running theme of this conversation. Okay. Is that you're very open. I have been very open about your history, your personal history. Uh-huh. You grew up in Washington and yeah. like in almost the first line of the show said you had an unhappy childhood. Yeah. Yeah. First off, why was it unhappy? You're going, you're going right to it. Yeah, I'm going, going right, right to it. No, I'm going right to it because it's fascinating that you are so open in all of your work. I mean, you're open as an artist, as an yeah. actor. I don't understand why more people aren't as open. I, it, to me, it makes total sense to be open. I guess maybe I've been in therapy for 20 years, so okay. I'm just like really used to kind of excavating this stuff. And I've done a lot of therapeutic work in lots of different ways. So... Listen, in a lot of senses, you know, uh, my childhood was 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 normal and happy. You know, I wasn't I wasn't starved, but I was love starved, and I think it has to do with you know my dad. Uh, God rest his soul. He died a couple of years back. He was really traumatized as a kid. I mean, he had he had like a like a Charles Dickens uh, childhood. He was beaten, tortured, like. Oh, his wow. his dad would take off for weeks at a time, leaving him to raise his younger sister when he was like 13. And he had to like borrow food from neighbors. I mean, it was really bad shit. And so that'll mess with you, right? right. So he wasn't so good at the whole intimacy thing. He, he was a very sweet man. He was a soft natured man. He wasn't like hard scrabble abusive, but he was very cut off. Right. And, um, when my mom left him and me when I was about a year and a half or two years old, I didn't really see her again until I was about 15. And then I was kind of raised by my stepmom and they just had a terrible marriage. And, you know, just to cut to the chase, when I was writing my autobiography, The Bassoon King, a couple of years back, I I asked them, I said, when did you know that your marriage was bad and that you shouldn't have gotten married? And they both said like, oh, within about six months of being married. And they stayed together for 14, 15 more years. And then, you know, I grew up a member of the Baha'i faith, which I've, you know, I've spoken about a lot here and there. But one of the things that has been most difficult for me to kind of understand and rectify is that in the Baha'i faith, everything is about love. It's about peace. It's about unity. It's about serving others and 
being open and and serving humanity, et cetera. And so we had a lot of talk about love. We talked about love all the time. <laughs> right. But there was zero love in the room. Right. It was a really fractured. So it's like it's a, for a child, it's incredibly gaslighting to kind of be like, we should all love each other and serve each other and be kind to one another. And then my parents weren't loving or kind to each other. And I was kind of stuck in the middle. Were you were you aware of that in the moment? No. Like, were you aware? Okay. No, I was, and this is, you know, and this created in me a, a big, a, a sense of anxiety, loneliness, alienation. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, I remember several times my parents would be fighting and then we would have a Baha'i spiritual gathering at our house that would involve like saying prayers or singing or meditating or studying, you know, mystical works of various religious faiths or of the Baha'i writings themselves. And like my stepmom, like breaking dishes in the sink and there's guests over and then her stomping through our tiny little living room about the size of this podcast booth because we didn't have any money and going to the door and like slamming the door. And sometimes you'd even hear screams from the other side. Oh! And then my dad going, okay, well, shall we say some prayers? Oh my God. And you know, I'm nine years old and I'm like, this is, I know this isn't right, right? But I, but everyone's pretending it's normal. Maybe this is normal. Is this how other people act? I don't know. So all of this is, you know, it's grist for the mill. And I've and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't think I play kind of weirdo, alienated characters as well. If I don't have that petri dish of an experience growing up, it did give me some mental health issues that I've kind of dealt with through my adulthood. Um, and that's been part of the journey too. So, you know, I see it all interwoven. I have a, I have a psychological personal journey through therapy and recovery. I have a journey, a spiritual journey as a Baha'i and seeking kind of spiritual meaning and purpose in my life. And I'm an artist too. And I transform and I play characters and I draw on all of this complexity in history and the playing of those characters. And all three of those journeys are intricately intertwined. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you feel like your work as an artist, even young, that you used that, even if you couldn't articulate that things were maybe not quite right at home, as you said, or um, that you weren't fully happy, do you feel like you used the arts and creating characters and beginning your sort of passionate journey along those lines, you used that? I think so. I think you use it. You don't, you're not even aware you're using it right. when you're starting out in acting, but I always played misfits better. Okay. I always played oddballs better. Um, people that didn't fit in people that were kind of tortured. And um, so I, I definitely drew on that when I was in acting school, I swiftly realized like, Oh, I'm, I'm incapable of playing someone well-balanced and popular and, <laughs> you know, but right. the more twisted the character, the better I would do. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways I'm grateful. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have played Dwight Schrute had, had I had a, you know, normal balanced childhood. Well, it's all, it's all part of the beauty and complexity of being a human being. Yeah. I just had a conversation with Garrett Dillahunt. Yes. Your old pal. Yeah. Who described you as a legend at 
you, Dub. He was slightly younger or just behind you. Legend. At you, Dub? Yes, a legend. Wow. Uh, kind of a legend in the theater department there. I mean, did you, were you having success? Did you feel that in yourself when you were in college? Not, not at all. Uh, so I started acting uh, later in high school when I went to this kind of very wealthy, artsy high school called New Trier, north of Chicago. And I was really grateful because I had some amazing theater teachers there. I got to be a part of some incredible productions very early on, very young. And, um, and then I went to Tufts University in Boston. I did a year. I did a bunch of theater there, and that was good. And I did some plays. And then my parents were getting a divorce, my dad and my stepmom. And I, you know, as messed up as their marriage was, I was still very connected to them. Right. And I was kind of having a breakdown as they were having a breakdown. So I went back to Seattle. Then I ended up at University of Washington, where I met my now wonderful wife, Holiday Reinhorn, and, um, and met Garrett Dillahunt, Matt Ross, Lynn Shelton. A lot of great artists were there at that time and started doing plays. And I don't remember at all being a legend at the University of Washington. I played, you know, a couple leads, but a couple smaller parts and some different plays. And I think Garrett was, I had been acting for a while and Garrett was literally just starting. So I, I saw Garrett in his very first play and he was so talented, but he was so tense. I thought... <laughs> I just thought, oh my God, he's going to explode. The veins on his face are so tight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, he's this kind of ruggedly handsome, otherworldly, like kind of ethereal David Bowie cowboy uh, from Yakima, Washington, and doing these experimental plays. Uh, and uh, but, but he was just terrific. And then I went to NYU, and then two years later, he went to the NYU graduate acting program. So we kind of followed each other. Right. And have both had pretty nice careers. He's he's an outrageously talented actor. I love his stuff. Um, but I will say, I just wanted to tell this little story. So I had had, because your question was about the success that I had. I had success in high school and in two colleges. And I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'm really good at this. Okay. I should go be a professional actor. Right. I should go audition. So I was in Seattle, University of Washington. And I like went down the University Avenue to the photography studio, and I got I have still have some of these really cheesy headshots from 1986, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and and I typed up a resume. I had my dad help me type up like the high school and college plays that I had done, right? And um, I just started submitting myself for. I looked in the newspapers, and you know, on that ads and stuff like that. And I started submitting myself and I started getting some auditions and I auditioned around at a lot of little, not community theaters, semi-professional and professional theaters there. And after about four or five auditions, and then I auditioned for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And the guy there was like, listen, you need to either come to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and like carry a spear and understudy roles and do that for five or six years, or you need to go to like New York and get acting training. You should do one of those two things. But it became really clear like, oh shit, um, I am the tiniest fish in a very big pond now and I'm really not good enough and I don't have the skill set to be good enough to act professionally at that point. And that was 2019 or 20 at that point. And, and I'm really grateful that 
I had the wherewithal to kind of have that ability to kind of see myself, to kind of go like, oh, you're not good enough yet. Because right. some actors never have that. And right. they kind of think that they're ready for Broadway and they're <laughs> and they're they just they don't have it. Right. So I was like, I need to train. And that's when I went to NYU for actor training. When did you decide? I mean, this is slightly a different a different question. When did you decide it's what you wanted to do? Yeah. So my best friend uh at the time, John Valadez, and we had grown up together since third grade and we ended up going to NYU together. We went to University of Washington together. We were like really good friends uh, through our youth. Um, he was going to India for a year. He decided to take a year off and just go to India. And he was going to do some service projects and travel. And he's like, come on, man, come to India. Let's do it. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And I was doing these plays and I was really thinking about acting and whether or not to make it a career. My parents were supportive, but wary. You know, how am I going to pay the bills? Sure. And um, I had a, a spiritual transformative experience that made me decide to commit 100%. And that was, I was visiting my birth mother, who I was just getting to know at the time in Boston. I think it was over Christmas break, sophomore year of college. And the movie version of a chorus line was playing in a little theater in Boston. And I just walked in by myself. I don't know. I was wandering in Boston. I saw it and I just went in. I watched it by myself. Now this is a legendarily bad movie version of a musical. And it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's really, and I knew even when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is terrible. But it's all about acting and actors and it's how much I love the theater and I really need this job, please, God. Who am I anyway? Am I my resume? You know, those kind of songs. And um, and I was there, and I just started sobbing. And just tears were pouring down my face, and I was, like, heaving, sobbing. <laughs> that, and the theater was empty because the movie was terrible. And I went outside, and it was sunset because I'd seen a matinee and it was a red sunset. Snow was falling through kind of a red sunset. And I had like tears on my face. And I was like, that's it. I'm going for this 100%. I'm all in. Wow. I'm all in. I know this is going to be a 10-year commitment, but the only way to do it is to just completely fully commit. I want to be an actor in the theater. And that's when I auditioned for these uh, training programs, and I was lucky enough to get into NYU. NYU. Mm -hmm. um, for you, it was about theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what you wanted to do. Is yeah. that where, because that was for me. That's yeah. where I saw my life. That's what I thought I was going to do forever yeah. and ever. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. When did that start to change for you? Because your career was successful. You're traveling around at major regional theaters and working in New York. What what for you made you transition and decide to move to Los Angeles and and did you view it as a career change? Because mm. I did. You did. I did. I didn't think about it until I decided to fully change, which mm. was say no to any acting roles in the theater. I'm not doing that. I'm mm. going to move to Los Angeles and really recommit myself to what I viewed as as a career change. Was it the same for you or? No, it, it wasn't the same for me. I mean, 
I was so in love with the theater and devoted to the theater. And I had done, you know, after three years of theater training at NYU, I did nine or 10 years of nonstop theater in New York and regionals. I, I did a company called the acting company, which was a tour bus and truck touring company of Shakespeare when I first got out of college. And I was on the road with Jeffrey Wright, you know, who's in Westworld yes. and is been award nominated and the French Angels, Dispatch. Angels and, in America. Yeah, he's yes. an incredible actor. Um, I was Demetrius. He was Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. And we got back at the end of a six-month theater tour, just exhausted, bedraggled. We go and pick up our mail at the headquarters of the theater company. And I open up my bank statement and I have like $2,300 in the bank after six months of work on right. the road. And I was like, oh. Fuck. And then Jeffrey Wright's opening his mail and he's like, yeah, woo. I'm like, Jeff, what's going on? He's like, check it out. I got a residual check. And he had this check and it was for $3,500. And he had done two days on a Harrison Ford movie <laughs> and he got more money in residuals for those two days than I had for six months of working. And, and right then and there is like, in my head, I remember it was like, okay, this is, the, I, I got it. This is ridiculous. You know, right. if, if I'm ever going to pay off, let, forget buying a house. If I'm ever going to pay off my student loans, I have to do TV and film. See, actors in New York, and I, and I do think there, there's a, you know, a handful, David Costable's one we both know, that do it all. And, and I love that about New York and actors in London, that they can do a play here and a TV show here and a movie here and a commercial here. And you get to do it all. You know, LA, it doesn't really work like that. There's right. very few theaters. They're far away. They don't pay very well, et cetera. And it's hard, it's hard to do that anywhere else. A little bit in Chicago, maybe DC, a couple places like that. But it's very hard to kind of balance all of it. But I really was like, I want to do enough television and film so that I can come back to New York and get cast in leads in plays. Right. Because that's what was happening all the time. You'd have like, James Vanderbeek just did Dawson's Creek and he got offered Hamlet, you know, because right. he's been on Dawson's Creek, you right. know, and and that's the reality of the theater. They got to sell tickets, right? So I was like, I want a TV show so I can come back and play Hamlet in New York. It hasn't really worked out that way. I've been here in LA for over 20 some years now, but now my son is going off to college. Can you believe it? No. Walter was born. Walter was born during the hot girl, purse girl episode of season one. That's right. In a really traumatic birth. Yes. You ran from set to yeah, go to, to, to the, the hospital, hospital yeah. because there was a, a medical issue. Yes. No, and, I know. And and uh, and now he's going off to college. So I'm going to have more time to do theater. He He's like the physical embodiment of how long we yeah. all were together. Just as he grew, it was like, oh, wow, we've been together a long time and now he's going off to college which is it's nuts nuts yeah just nuts. nuts yeah but once he's gone he's our only kid and then i've got a little more freedom so i can go do theater for very little money for six months here or five months there so i'm, I'm very excited about about doing that because for me you know i always have a little bit of the mystical spiritual nature in me and for me acting is about the, the, there is a magic about transforming into characters. Yes. And people always are like, you know, Dwight gets so much attention and focus about who I am as an actor and as a person. 
And that's great. I'm so grateful. Those nine years were magical, amazing. What a great character. The writing, the cast, the the you know the the producers everything like the the fans the support it's 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 been incredible but people don't realize this and a lot of people aren't in the acting world like i played dozens of characters before i played dwight right and since i've finished dwight i've played another couple dozen characters right so for me it's about transforming into characters and telling stories i played Hamlet in school. I did Eugene O'Neill at the arena stage. I did Philadelphia Here I Come at the Guthrie. I did, you know, I did Shakespeare tours. I've done lots of little, I played the creepy guy in Supermarket and CSI, but, but they're all characters. They're just like, you know, I hope that when I die, people will, yes, I, I look at Dwight, but be like, wow, look at all the crazy different characters this guy played. Like, right. this was a panoply of of very different characters, dozens and dozens and dozens over his life. And I love that act of transformation. It's so satisfying to me to just, to build and develop and play a character and then play a completely different character, you know, than the month after. Yeah, I, I, feel, I really feel this way, that for you and I, I think we have a unique bond and excitement about what you just talked about, like actually creating the physicality, the inner life, the external differences from ourselves mm. and melding that with who we are, that that for me as well, that is really my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's, I keep using the word something. transformation, but yes. you walk different, you speak different, you think different, you see the world different. Uh, you have a different kind of energy. All of these things need to transform to create a character. Now, of course, I'm at the basic building blocks are Rain Wilson. So I'm going to be using this big, weird, ungainly body, and I'm going to always see things through a certain lens. So you're always going to see Rain Wilson in those characters, and that's right. also a magical thing. But that's that's what I love about the the theater, and I think why you know. Um, People have always loved the theater and they love to see their favorite actors transform. Do you resent that people only want to see you be Dwight? Sometimes I do, to be really honest, you know, to be perfectly frank. It's just like, I'll do an independent film that I worked my ass off on and play a, a villain or, you know, played something completely different than me, right. you know, unhinged person or something, you know, really funny or whatever. And I'll promote it on like social media. They'll be like, Hey Dwight. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Dwight. And, <laughs> okay, exactly. and it's, and it's, it's like, guys, I get it. I get it. You love the show. I do too. It's beautiful. But also can you respect me as an artist and that I'm trying to do some other things here too. Right. But at the end of the day, I, I've been really lucky because I, I even think like the last 10 years since I got out of the office, I've done a lot of really cool stuff. I did this show Backstrom. No one really watched it. I did the show Utopia. Backstrom is the role you stole from me. That is. God, I wanted to play that role so bad and they just really wanted you. I wanted to play that role. I mean, we've discussed this. Yeah. Not in a long time. Yeah. But literally when I look at your at your at your when I looked at your sheet and I see Backstrom, I'm like, oh, motherfucker. 
Uh, that one that one's still yeah yeah there's another version of backstrom there's another maybe it a lot of maybe it would have worked and been better and stayed on the air with you as the uh no i know as the cop no it's no, true well no. but the point i'm making is that you know this show utopia on amazon um i did harry mudd on star trek and a bunch of independent films and some theater and like i really love the actor's life that I've had post office. Yeah. People haven't given a shit about any of it. Like no one is like, Dwight, <laughs> but, um, it's been really, uh, it's been fun for me. And these have been some really great, satisfying characters. And then part of me has thought recently, like, Oh, this is the life I always wanted. Like I'm living the life I always wanted. I'm getting to play all of these cool roles. People haven't really, vibed with them that's okay if you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change you really only need one reason to do it but with zen nicotine pouches you can find many not only did zen create the first ever nicotine pouch we're still america's number one choice for smoke-free spit-free nicotine satisfaction it could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. I uh, just started watching. Launched today. I know this is not going to come out today, but Geography of Bliss. Yeah. Is there a part of you, is there a conscious thought within you to show yourself? We're all performing all the time. We're performing with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, depending on what the relationship is, right? I mean, like everyone, not actors, everyone is performing in one way or the other. Is there a part of you that wanted to show yourself really in Rain Wilson? I mean, you are Rain Wilson in Geography of Bliss. Was there a part of you that wanted that? You know, it just, it was not something that I wanted. It's just this kind of world of like, people want to know about the guy who played Dwight. And so I talk about my life story and people really resonated with me talking about mental health issues. And, and that was really people were like, Oh wow. And they, they've pounced on that because it's such a big deal right now for young people. This mental health epidemic that young people are going through is just, it's staggering. It's, it's preposterous. It's deadly. It's so any kind of celeb who says, Hey, I have struggled. People are like, tell me more because it really can help people. So when I saw like, oh, me sharing my story is helping people. And so I started sharing it more. And you, your first question is like, wow, you're so upfront about sharing this stuff. And you know, maybe it's because I said like, I've been in therapy, so I talk about it every week. It's not that big of a deal to me. It's just stuff that I work on. right? And I'm very blessed with some kind of character trait in me that I never just kind of settle. I'm always trying to dig deeper. I want to get to know myself better. I want to get to know the universe better. I want to figure out why we're alive deeper. I just have an insatiable curiosity around that stuff. I'm not able to, I wish I kind of could just be like, Hey bro, like, yeah, I'm mellow, whatever. Maybe it's, maybe it's being wired with that anxiety that I talked about as a kid. So just more and more over the years, talking about myself, telling my stories, people being interested, writing about myself in The Bassoon King, and now in this new book, Soul Boom. And then people knowing me as Dwight, It's and it, part of me is kind of like, I guess I'm a celebrity now. I'm like Suzanne Summers doing her diet books and her aerobics eyes or something like that. It's like, right. so this is the first time I've done a big uh, hosting thing, kind of being myself Yourself. Uh, on a yeah. TV show. So it's, hopefully I can do it all. I'll hopefully still keep acting and also get to be myself. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, Geography of Bliss on the Peacock, you were nice enough to give me some episodes. I didn't wake up at two o'clock this morning and start binging them. I love it because you are embracing the office in the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, several times I almost like, like I almost like drew my breath in. 
because it's not you. This is not something that you do is talk about Dwight. And I feel like the exchange, the exchange with the Bulgarian cab driver where you start humming the theme song, like trying to plug him in to like who you, who you are. You know, right? You know, it, there was something so refreshing about that and an openness to your journey of trying to find happiness. How did you choose where you were going to go? Yeah, so it was a crazy story. I, My manager at the time just got an email from this young producer who said, hey, I got the rights to this book called The Geography of Bliss. That was a bestseller about this journalist going around the world trying to figure out what made people happy in various cultures. And he said, I think this would be a great travel documentary series, and I think Rain would be perfect for it. I had spoken a little bit about some mental health stuff with me and my search for well-being and meaning in my life. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to respond to anything that comes in just cold call like that. But I was like, uh, he's kind of right. This is interesting. So I sat down with him and this other young producer. They're both like 28 years old, Casey and Evan, and um, just totally vibed with them. I read the book. It was great. It just was one of those things that fell together in such a beautiful way. And then we brought on Radical Media, which is a really top production house and great showrunner, Melissa Wood. And great director, Niharika Desai. And we pitched it around and Peacock bought it. And uh, then it was like, where are we going to go? We, at first we were going to go to Finland and Moldova. Okay. And then a little thing happened, which is the invasion of the Ukraine. Right. So Finland borders Russia. Okay. And Moldova borders Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine. And then we're like, oh, geez, we can't. Because what if we go shoot there? And then six months later, they've been invaded and we can't use the footage because it would just be weird. So like, ugh. So our Finland alternative was Iceland. Our Moldova alternative was Bulgaria. We could tell a similar kind of story about those because Moldova is the unhappiest place and Finland is the happiest place. So we went to like the second happiest place, Iceland, <laughs> and the second unhappiest place, <laughs> Bulgaria. And then we really wanted to showcase Africa, of course, and Ghana has some amazing statistics about it's optimism. It's one of the most optimistic places on the planet where people really do believe that in 10 or 20 years, their children are going to have it way better and that they're going to build a better and better life there. And in a lot of ways they have, Ghana has been one of the great success stories of the world, you know, economically and educationally. It's a beautiful culture, English speaking, which is very helpful. I highly recommend anyone go to Ghana. It's so much fun. Food's great. People are wonderful. And then Thailand uh, has a spiritual component with its Buddhism that was yes. very intriguing to us. And then here's a funny story. We were going to go, we were going to shoot in Ghana and then we were going to go to Dubai and do an episode called like, can money buy you happiness? Right. And the day before we flew to Dubai, real housewives of Dubai, it's a show Okay. aired in Dubai and Dubai has a royal family, and the royal family saw Real Housewives of Dubai, and they were flabbergasted and incensed at all the drunken, bacchanalian, uh. backstabbing shenanigans of those Real Housewives of Dubai. And so they shut down all productions. We literally showed up in Dubai with our camera bags and our producers, and they're like, sorry, your permit's been pulled. So we had to like shift. So. Our final episode we did uh, back in Los Angeles, um, which I really like. And, and the final episode is about, you know, can, I, can Rain Wilson find happiness back 
in LA? Can he come back to LA and, you know, put into practice what he learned out in the world? So would you do more? Oh yeah. Oh my God. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like I never thought I'd have a better job than the office, uh, but getting paid to travel the world and talk to people about happiness and well-being and meaning is just, oh my God, it's so awesome. It's so great. Do you feel like you were changed? Were you able to forget the cameras? And you're an intensely interesting and interested person. Were you able to open your be open enough while shooting the show to really change and have discoveries? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a weird thing to have a camera pointed at you and like, hey, go have a discussion with this taxi driver about happiness. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's an interesting challenge. And I got self-conscious a lot. I'm like, am I saying the right thing? Is this Is this right? But I would say over the course of the show, I definitely loosened up and had a good time and and was really able. And, and remember, I was connecting with the people even when the cameras weren't rolling too. Right. So, but I, I do feel like I was changed. And the takeaway that I have from Geography of Bliss is really pretty simple. When I was writing my book, I came across this very famous study called the Grant Study out of Harvard University. And it followed 300 men over 80 years from the like 1930s on about happiness and well-being and what it means to live like a good life. And they studied every aspect of, of you know, family life, divorces, health, mental health, spirituality, exercise, travel, income, et cetera, on and on. And they boiled it down to one thing and one thing only to, which is a good life. And that is community and connection. That's all that it's about. And I think we've learned this in COVID. We need to stay connected. We need community. We thrive in relation to one another. We don't thrive kind of on our own in our bubble staring at our phones, right? We thrive, and this is part of the mental health epidemic. We thrive in community and connection. And that's what they, that's what 80 years of study of hard data by the top scientists, you know, social psychologists in the world arrived at. And that's what I arrived at. Um, it's pretty simple, it's pretty obvious. But seeing these incredible thriving communities, whether it's a tribe or a family or a, a, a work collective or people that love to do polar plunges together or um, you know have a band together, but humans thrive in connectivity. And, and so that really is like, oh, I need to lean into that more in my life because you know I have groups of friends here, here and there, but, but it's time for me to lean into lean into that because that's where the greatest and deepest satisfaction lies. Isn't that so interesting? Because connection and community and how much joy and happiness people find in the office. Yeah. Because at its core, we were a community yeah. and we were connected as characters, but also as people. Yeah. And that, palpable energy yeah. i believe because i'm told goes out into the world and makes people happy i mean that's what I, i've said many times the greatest gift for me that the show gave me is that residuals <laughs> 
The second greatest thing that this Yola gave me, no, is when someone comes up, and I always describe it this way: it's not that they're te- they want they're tell they're telling me how much the show means. Mm-hmm. It's that they have an overwhelming feeling of need to communicate to me uh-huh. how much the show means. Right. Like they are. Sometimes that can be a bit much, though. Right. <laughs> sometimes when you're at an event it's and settings like, it's setting it's all settings the 12th the 27th person like has it's, grabbed your arm and been like no you don't understand no it's Nothing. there are settings but that but that's but at, that's what you're talking about like that is that is them wanting this connection and community that mm-hmm. they found from the show but and, you're absolutely right to bring that up and i just want to say that what you're talking about like so you, me, John, Jenna, BJ, Angela, the whole gang, Oscar, the list goes on and on. Like yes. we loved each other. Yeah. And there was a joy that Greg Daniels helped create the environment for that and the casting. And then that that joy and that love may not have been between Dwight and Kevin and Angela and Ryan and whatnot, but you can it bleeds you in it. you feel yeah. it and yeah. people can tell and and then that is what people are responding to at the end of the day and you know pam says to end the series you know there's beauty in the small things isn't that what it's really all about and i think that's what people people aren't watching 30 rock over and over again yeah you know they're not watching a lot of different shows over and over again yeah but they come back to the office for that and do you remember there was a director i have to look up his name i can't remember his name we were in season like seven and we would come in in the morning laughing, hugging, high-fiving, kissing each other, you know, tickling each other. Wee! And he's like, what the fuck is going on? You've been seven years and you guys are acting this way with each other? Like, he goes, you don't understand. I just came off the set of Desperate Housewives and half of the cast won't talk to the other half of the cast and yeah. they won't come out of their trailers until this person is like on the set and they don't want to cross that person. And they, this person won't do scenes with this other person. And it's like, and there's so you hear that about so many different TV shows. Yeah. Anyway, do you think travel brings happiness? Experiencing places, whether there are happy places or unhappy places. Yeah. I think travel is one of my favorite things. And I think it's, uh, it's beautiful. It works on a lot of different levels. Like you, you're interacting with a different physical environment, right? You, it's an adv- you're out of your comfort zone, so your 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 senses and your brain are just kind of firing in a whole different way because you're you know you're in Greece or you're in a mountain range or you're in London or a different city or a different language or whatever. So that's all really exciting. I think the important thing about travel is a lot of Americans, not just Americans, people from all of the Western world, kind of want to travel and have a, an experience that's very similar to their home life. So they. They travel and they go to a resort that has a buffet and has the same foods, you know, that they eat at home and they sit by a pool and then they watch HBO on their iPads and then they go back and that's their vacation. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a relaxing vacation for hardworking folks. But if you're traveling to different cultures, it's so important to embed with the culture. Whatever you can do to take a tour, go with guides, visit with a family, you know, go on an adventure like try and speak the language and respect the culture. And that's when travel really comes alive. That is such a great point because 
I travel quite a bit and there was a period of time that like my first question when going to my hotel was where's the nearest Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> like where, cause in the morning sure. I'm going to want coffee Yeah, and I'm going to want. And by the coffee. way, folks, I'm surprised this is a small one. Brian walks around <laughs> with a big like ice cup and he will nurse he will nurse something like this like i don't know how he does like six hours yeah it'll There's take still him some to ice in there and he's just all day you just see brian like <laughs> swirling his little ice it's little there that's for the people listening on the audio um, <laughs> but it's not a starbucks it's not it's not a starbucks I, i'm not saying i don't go to starbucks and starbucks please if you need to spend your ad dollars anywhere, please off the beat is, is available to you. But my point is because I wanted the same, right? It, it was, it wasn't about Starbucks, but it was about, well, Starbucks are everywhere. And I know what that tastes like. Sure. And I want the same to your point. And now I try to do the opposite. Like what is the low, what is a local coffee shop? And sometimes it's awful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's mind-blowingly amazing mm. because coffee shops are like they, – they reflect in a lot of ways, especially independent coffee shops, like a community. Mm -hmm. It's different. The mm -hmm. food, the, the way the coffee is. And anyway, I think what you say is really important because you're right. And through your experiences on Geography of Bliss, we see you do that over and over and over, immersing yourself into the culture mm. and, and to the people. Yeah. It's, I'm so blessed. It's, I'm so fortunate to be able to travel in that way. Cause they, they hook up families for me to stay with and people for me to spend the day with and have, and eat meals with and walk through the woods with. And so I get to go much deeper and have made some really delightful friends and connections. There's another part that though, that I really liked, which was you, connecting in these different places with at times people that you knew already. Mm, yeah. Um, the actor in Iceland, I Dari Olofsson. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's fun to see you relax in a way with people. You have a familiarity, obviously the people you don't know. That's amazing too. But seeing you with these people that you have met over your life mm. and now spending time with them in their homeland or mm -hmm. th the place that they live now. I don't, that was really fun for me. Hmm. Yeah, that was, that was great. It was a great addition. Well, did that just happen or was that planned? Were you like, oh, I know someone here in Bulgaria. Yeah. Um, I knew the psychologist in Bulgaria yeah. through the Baha'i faith community, which was really interesting. And, uh, and then the producers were very resistant. And I was like, no, we got to talk to her because she's been living in America for 30 years, but she's Bulgarian. So she really knows, and she's a psychologist. She really knows the Bulgarian psyche. Like, well, trust me, we're going to want to talk to her. And it was a key interview there to really understand the Bulgarians. Yeah. And then Dari, it does the same thing. They're, they, they become translators. Anthony Bourdain did it so beautifully. God rest his soul. Like, the people that he would meet and the chefs and the guides and stuff. And you would go, you'd go back to Vietnam and meet the guy that had been there 20 years earlier when he had been to Vietnam. And it's such a great entree into culture and food and connection. Yeah. You go deeper though. And I feel 
I feel you searching for the answers to these questions. I mean, you know, I mean, you've written books about life, life's big questions that, that there truly is no answer, but that, that searching that to me is Mm. really compelling. Mm. Like the searching for Mm. something as opposed to an experience, which there are two different things. Mm. And I, Anthony, God rest his soul. Yes. was brilliant. I felt like that was more having an experience. Mm-hmm. This I feel you searching for something, mm. which to me is more interesting. Mm. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zin.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.
founded Soul Pancake, and now you have your new book, Soul Boom. How have you, how is the questions that you're looking to answer changed from your time with Soul Pancake? Yeah, so Soul Pancake was a digital media company, mostly a YouTube channel. We worked uh, and created a lot of short form video content and a lot of social media content about uh, life's big questions, but it was always with an aim to inspire and uplift and, and bring people together. And that was kind of the, the focus of the platform itself. We ended up uh, selling the company to participant media. So it's kind of been folded into what they do as a media company and a film uh, production studio. So Soul Boom is a little bit different because this is me kind of writing a book on big spiritual ideas about the meaning of life. As I say in the book, uh, I'm throwing a bunch of spiritual spaghetti at the wall and we'll see what sticks. And I talk about life and death. I talk about consciousness, the journey of the soul, sacredness, uh, God. I have a chapter on God called the Notorious G-O-D. And then I talk about, can we use spiritual tools for social transformation? How can we use these big, deep, rich spiritual ideas that have been in every faith tradition on the planet from the dawn of time? Can we use those ideas to help us transform collectively? Because we're hurting so much right now. There's so much disunity. There's so much venom, toxic social media and partisanship. How can we learn from the Bible? How can we learn from the Bhagavad Gita, from the Torah, you know, from the Dhammapadas of the Buddha, and can we use those tools for a kind of we think a lot about spirituality as personal transformation like oh i'm going to i'm going to pray i'm going to meditate i'm going to read holy words i'm going to try and be a better person that's that's part of our spiritual path but can we also use them for social transformation so it's a it's a big idea book and at the same time it's i try and make it funny and light and readable at the same time it's not a dissertation or anything like no, that no it's beautiful and i feel like with Soul Pancake, you were searching for the answers to life's big questions. This, to me, feels deeply personal, much more personal mm. to me uh, in this book and exploring the questions that are in the world today through your own specific lens, which is always the case, but being so open again and sharing your past experience gives it just a real power. Mm, wow. Thank you so much. That's, that's very kind. I, I appreciate that. I, I tried to share my experience whenever I could. I, I just find that people are more receptive to ideas when you share it personally, you know, when you make it say, here's what I went through. I, you know, I, my chapter on death, which is called death and how to live it is framed by the death of my father, which happened, you know, six months into COVID and he died of, of heart disease at age 79. And it was you know, like I said, my mom took off when I was, you know, a toddler. So my main parental bond was with my dad. And I'm, you know, most bonded to someone who was really, really bad at intimacy <laughs> because he had been so traumatized. So that was a conundrum, but heartbreaking nonetheless. So I wanted to really share deeply, like what I was going through, what I was feeling. I tell a very comedic story in it about we were preparing the body for burial in a Baha'i tradition, which is very similar to a Jewish tradition where you, you wash the body and wrap the body in preparation for burial. And the funeral home didn't have any 
nice bowls. It had like some Tupperware containers or a teapot. And that we were up against it because the funeral was starting soon and I had to run to a Target to buy glass bowls. It was in the middle of a heat wave and I'm pouring sweat and it's COVID and I'm sobbing, snots running down my nose and I'm trying to find glass bowls to wash my dead father's body. So we have a good time along the way. <laughs> you talk about your Baha'i faith. You have always been very open about that. You left in your 20s mm -hmm. and then returned to it later on. How, how important was that for you? The, the leaving and the coming back and, and what brought you back? Well, it's, it's a key story for me. It's maybe the most important story of my life was that kind of 12-year journey where I left the Baha'i faith to go to New York to be an actor. I just wanted to do theater. I didn't want to think about religion, spirituality, God, certainly not morality. I wanted to kind of party and do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And a lot of kids do this. You know, this is a very common thing. That's probably it's probably 80% of kids who grew up in some spiritual tradition when they go off to college or go off to live in the city and and have a life, they jettison their leave faith, it, right. their faith of their childhood. So it's not I'm not special in this regard. I think what happened for me, however, is I started really coming up against some of these mental health issues that I've been talking about. That's when my anxiety kicked in. I used to have I mean, I can't even tell you how crippling these anxiety attacks were that I would have. I mean, I would I would fall on the floor, shaking and sweating. And I was like, I'm having a heart attack. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm literally dying. Came so close on a half a dozen occasions of calling 911. I mean, I was just... And then all the mini anxiety attacks I was having, and then depression, addiction issues, and... And this forced me to reinvestigate spirituality. Okay. Um, it's interesting because I had a conversation with BJ and, and BJ was very frank. He's like, that was great that you had that. It forced you to go on a spiritual path. But what would you say someone like me, like I'm, I'm interested in spirituality and I'm, I'm struggling and I want to get to know it more and I want to figure out my life in a, in a, but my life is fine right now. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm functioning. I'm pretty happy. I'm doing great projects. So how do you how do you do that? And you know, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think it's to just get more curious and and to read a little bit, which will fuel that curiosity. But I was really fortunate in a way like I kind of hit bottom so bad in a number of ways in my 20s and I was really dissatisfied that it forced me to look at spirituality again. And I read a lot of the holy books of the world and I, I studied and journeyed and read and journaled and did some therapy and did, and cause I, I, I felt in my bones, like, I think that there's probably a spiritual solution to this misery that I'm in. Mm. And that by jettisoning my religion and my spirituality, I have done myself a disservice and I bet this will lead to greater happiness and fulfillment if I re-explore that dimension. It was a very long time coming. I mean, I was still exploring early on in the office and, um, but came back to the faith, the Baha'i faith from my childhood, which has brought me and my wife a lot of solace and connection. Yeah. 
The themes uh, that you explore in the book, they seem to have a lot in common with Geography of Bliss. Self-awareness, self-improvement, self-acceptance. What do you see as the relationship between Soul Boom and Geography of Bliss? And is there an is there an overall message or are you trying to just put people on their own journey? Yeah, great, great, great question. So I knew the book was coming out. What month is this? May? April? May. So it was coming out in late April. And then Peacock was like, hey, good news. We're going to, we're going to release Geography of Bliss in September. And I was like, wait, whoa, 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 what? No, no, no. I have the, I have a book coming out in April that's about this theme and I'm going to be promoting it. I'm going to be out there on the road. I'd love to talk about Geography of Bliss as well. And they were great about it. And I also said, and also think about it, like think about releasing the show right before people are traveling over the summer. It's a post-COVID show. It's kind of launching into the yes. summer, traveling the world. People are going on vacations, like, and they're thinking about being more expansive. Maybe they've traveled traveling for the first time, like at all. And they were great about it. And Peacock was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and so they Oh, there you go. They shifted the release date. What? They yeah. said that? They said you're right. Yeah. I have to say they've been an amazing partner and team on this. And it's funny, Brian, sidebar, there was this article in the Onion AV department and it was like, Peacock is using its former sitcom stars to have documentary series. And they, um, they, they mentioned some other actors that had been on like Parks and Rec and some other shows that were doing some kind of documentary series on Peacock. And they, it was like the article was like this scandalous article, like <laughs> we've exposed this. It's like, duh, what do you think? Like, They're trying to get people to the Peacock. They're trying yes. to get people to watch the Peacock. But not only that, like there are office fans turning to Peacock and they like Rain, they tend to like Rain Wilson and then they turn it on and then they see that I've got this show and it's, it's win-win. Like it's, that's how television works. Yeah. It's how it's always worked. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, uh, TV stars of CBS or TV stars of HBO do other shows on that. Right. You know, uh, Patricia Arquette is doing a new show on Apple after Severance <laughs> yes. because they have a nice relationship and people that go to Apple like Patricia Arquette. It's, oh my God, give me a break. So so what is it about? It To me, it's all about you 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 brought it up before. It's all about asking questions. I'm not a guru. I don't have any answers. I'm a schlubby, chubby, weird guy. I still struggle. I've learned a few things, but I'm not p presenting myself as like some kind of guru, know-it-all, self-help guy like a lot of folks do on social media and whatnot. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm a fellow journeyer and Let's dig into these big ideas. Let's look at what makes us happy. Let's examine cultures around the world and where we can find great well-being from them and have a blast along the way. And in the book, like, let's dig into what it means to be alive. And is there a God? And do we have a soul? And how do we find what is sacred and holy in our lives? And what is the miracle of consciousness? And how do science and spirituality intersect? And where do we you know, where do we go from here as a, as a society? I don't have the exact answers for it, but it all, it all dovetails. So the universe seems to be pushing me in this direction to be telling these kind of stories. Who knows what's next? The book, if you haven't gotten it, get it, read it. I've known Rain 
20. 21 21 plus i mean you know i i was at least aware of you for much longer but uh known each other 20 plus years we have to talk about three sisters a little bit oh yeah three sisters well let me let me finish this legitimate pitch for the book i learned about rain by reading this book and rain is a very open person rain is i've said this before i'll say it again i'll say it till the day i die he is the lewdest, most inappropriate, <laughs> most, most, if there was a Dundee award for most likely to be sent to HR in today's culture, <laughs> it is Rain Wilson. No question. But at the same time, the kindest, the, the person that everyone would go to if something were really happening in their lives that they needed advice and input in thoughtful always curious and the book reflects that amazingly you're so kind thank you that's very nice to <laughs> yes say. well i mean it and uh, as for geography of bliss it's funny it's funny and will make you think about your own life and it's beautifully shot by mm-hmm. the way which mm-hmm. you had nothing to do with so <laughs> you but it's my parents went to ice. I've been to, I, I have been to the Reykjavik airport on a layover. So I spent, you know, three hours in the middle of the night, never thought of ever leaving the airport or going there again, seeing it, even just the shots of you guys driving uh, uh, around the, it's incredible. You it gotta go. It is unbelievably oh, go. beautiful. It's it's I've been five times. That's one five thing times. that was a lie we told in the show. It made it seem like I was going there for the first time. <laughs> I had been four times before. Oh, just as a person, just as yeah. a as a traveler. Yeah. You liars. God. And uh I love that place. I would I was very seriously talking to my wife about like what would it take for us to go live here? Because it is recently or years yeah. ago? No, yeah. like two, two, three years ago. Yeah. No, but not when you were just there for the show. No. Okay. But uh, it's the black sand beaches, glaciers, volcanoes. It's. <laughs> I used to say like our last trip there as a family, we went and like parked under like a 500 foot waterfall in our camper van. And like we're cooking dinner and looking at like, oh, it's pretty nice, pretty nice waterfalls. Like, yeah, we've seen way bigger we've seen the three thousand foot waterfalls and like coming off of the side of a glacier and the you know onyx cliffs and this one and it was like wait a minute i'm parked under a 500 foot waterfall and i'm like it's like ho-hum you know it's it's incredible super fun yeah um three sisters three sisters so before the office and in the early days of the office i was directing one of my very favorite plays Chekhov's three sisters three sisters and i met brian through some mutual friends i had seen you in a play although in a small role uh in minneapolis and i was like oh this guy's perfect for andre and three sisters and we we did this kind of ongoing workshop production that we were the plan was we were going to perform the whole play in people's living rooms we got to perform the first couple acts a couple times. You were so great in the role, just perfect combination of heartbreak and, and comedy. And, uh, it was really fun and arduous. Cause we would just meet on Sunday mornings and like rehearse for three hours yeah. every single week and do little chunks of it. And, and we all had to like pitch in some money, like, Hey, everyone put in 20 bucks to get the rehearsal space right. and stuff. But 
You were you were great and sad and and beautiful, and I hope you'll do more theater. Oh my gosh, thank you. Those were really fun times. Yeah, I was trying to think. I couldn't put the timetable together. So it was literally before the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then. And then we early on, like cast. when we had shot the pilot, we had started it. Yeah. And then we shot the five more episodes of the first season and we were kept kept going. Yes. By the time we were into like the second season, other people moved from LA to New York and we were kind of losing the cast and stuff. Yeah. And then we were got really busy and it it kind of petered away. Yeah. You should produce it. Should. Should. You're a little old for Andre now, sorry. Am I? It yeah. depends on how old everyone else is, really. Yeah, uh, you've got to feel, uh, sorry, sorry. 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, um, it's always great to see you. I'm going to come by the farm. Come by the farm. We've got the pigs to pet and a peahen. Pigs, a peahen, a zonkey still. Yeah, the zonkey's at, a, at my wife's where she has her horses. Okay. And then we have a donkey named Chili Beans, a rescue donkey. He's adorable. <laughs> Chili beans. Oh, he's so huggable. He's got fuzzy big ears. He's like, if you've ever nuzzled a donkey, that's not a dirty euphemism, Mm -hmm. but I would love for you to nuzzle my donkey. Name him Bushes. Chili beans. Chili beans. You can make chili out of him. Oh, that's See, it all comes around. That's all dark. It sure does. Rain Wilson, everybody. Rain Baumgartner, everybody. Uh, bringing it week after week. Thank uh, We just looked. I'm going to look into the camera. Oh, we didn't do any takes to the camera. 141 of these puppies. You are. This is number 141, which, 141? Is a, which is a significant number. Not at all. Could you have called me like it's not right. in the first like 30 or 40? Because hello. Well, no. I mean, the funny thing is, is the very first time i ever sat down for a podcast interview was with me was with you yeah at the old iheart studios in hollywood and i called you and i was like hey i'm thinking about putting this thing an oral history of the office together and you were as always like very accommodating with restrictions you you said absolutely i have to do it next week because I'm going to maybe shoot this movie and the show and I'm going to be busy. So next week. So you don't even know any of this scrambling started. We, no one, we had, the team hadn't done a brief at that point. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And I was like, oh my God, we have to have rain. So we scramble. So we go to iHeart. Stu- no we go to iHeart. I Studio. thought you were like in production. And- no, this was like <laughs> no. This was like I'm making calls. Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And yeah, you were just very clearly like abs. Whatever you need, but next week only. Like it was just <laughs> it was essentially that. And we sat down that day over two hours, and I left the room, and you left, and you said hello, nice to everybody, and you left, and everyone was like, we have a show. We have oh, a show. great. One, you didn't suck meeting me. Like you didn't well, suck. You guys you guys did you did it right. I mean, you did, you interviewed everybody, everybody and you spent hours and you you got into the minutia and the seasons and the and the pre the office. How'd you set I mean it was it was an incredible accomplishment. It Thank became you. like a cultural document and it was awesome. You guys just kicked ass with that thing, man. It was it was beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you. And now 
we sit back together. Oh, and let's we won't it won't be besties. It won't be besties. for we used to play tennis together, years. and then you just went That's to the what, dark side and just went completely over into golf. Golf, horrible, horrible man. Yeah. Thanks, Rain. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan, Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.